I didn't see that coming. Nice segue into our series that we're looking at at the moment. Um, we've been looking at some surprising things, mostly through the lens of Matthew and leading up to Christmas. And um, that was kind of my, that's what I was given. I inherited this topic from, from Mike. And he's like, here's the three wise men. Do something with that. Now, I said the three wise men just to make Mike tick. He was like, Greg, you know there's not three wise men. I was like, yeah, I know. It's just habit. But then I was thinking about the story, and I was like, well, they brought three gifts. I think that's where we get it from. But no one wants to be the awkward guy. Imagine the poor wise men turning up with nothing. Imagine she got a lot of favorites or something that year, like every teacher does. Thank you, Lauren. Um, anyway. Let's uh, get started in this series and um, on this story, and hopefully you find something surprising in the story. I'm an ex-teacher, so I'm really missing my holidays at the moment, so here's my offer. If I don't surprise you this morning, let me know and I'll buy you a coffee this week and we can, I'll try and surprise you with something else. If I do, though, you're welcome to come and buy me one. All right. So let's begin. Let's look at the um, second chapter of Matthew, and it's up on the screen here, Visitors from the East. And we're just going to read the first part initially. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that, same, that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. I just want to pause there. As a child, I think I've mentioned before, but I grew up in the country. I was a country boy. I know I've adopted like the surfer look now, but back then I was wielding a whip and an akubra, and I was dreamt of being a farmer. I was somewhere between the man from Snowy River and John Wayne, I like to think. And I think it's a pretty accurate description of what a farmer does, right? Um, no, that, was, that changed when I realized what farm life was really about. But yeah, I used to love spending time out on the farm. It was significant in my childhood, and that's why I keep referring to it. But we would head out, and we would go camping down by the river, and I'd roll out my swag. And something that stuck with me is, is lying in a swag. I never understood why people camp in tents or caravans, no offense. But I always loved the fact that you're under the stars. And they were just beautiful. They would light up the night. The Milky Way was clear to see. And it wasn't so clear in, in the big smoke where I came from, Toowoomba. Um, and I think that's important to realise and remember here because that's the context in which we read this story. There's no nighttime entertainment and bright lights. The, the stars would have been a vivid presence in the night sky. They would, have been, they would have shone out. They would have been something that people constantly looked to and, and observed. So I wonder if you've ever been out in the night sky and, and whether you can reflect on that you can relate to that. So that got me curious about these wise men. Wise men. This title was interesting to me and these foreigners traveling to Jesus' birth. I thought, surely there's got to be something surprising here. So I went and did some research. Now, there was some debate about where these wise men came from. I found some information saying they were from Arabia because of the reference east of Jerusalem. Now, apparently for the Jewish people, that term east, they came from the east men across the Jordan River. Um, so Arabia is actually a little bit lower here on this map. Um, so that was some of the beliefs there. And plus the three gifts were actually really well known or sourced from Arabia. So some um, people smarter than me, they theorized that that's where the wise men came from. Others, and more commonly, uh, theorized that it was from um, Persia. 
So magi in Greek literature refers to people from Babylonia or Parthia. Now, Babylonia might ring a bell for you because we think back about the exile of the Israelites in Babylon. And that links to this story as well, because while Daniel was in exile in Babylon, he had these dreams, he had these visions, he prophesied that the Messiah would come while he was there. He was one of these Israelites taken into captive and served in the king's court. So he had some influence, he was probably well known amongst other um, wise men, for lack of a better term, but he gave this prophecy while he was there. There's another prophecy in, given by Balaam. He gave this prophecy down by the Euphrates River, which borders um, Persia, in Numbers 24, where he talks about the star of Jacob coming. Now, these wise men were likely Zoroastrian, monotheistic. Um, they were foreigners. They weren't following the Jewish culture or the Jewish understanding of faith. They came from a totally different understanding, and they studied the stars. They were likely into divination. And at that time, interestingly, about 11 or 12 BC, 1211, goes the other way around when you're counting down to zero, um, Halley's Comet came through, but historians say that was probably a little bit too early for to be significant in this story. Another theory, again, this is just getting curious. None of this is proven fact, but it's just some ideas about what could they have been seeing? What, what was happening at this time? About 7 BC, um, two planets were in conjunction in the night sky, Jupiter and Saturn. Now, Jupiter at the time was known as the kingly planet. So it was clearly seen in the night sky. And Saturn, in certain areas, was known to signify the Jews. And they come into conjunction about every 20 years, apparently, in the night sky. Some years more vivid and depending on the time of the night. But in 7 BC, this happened three times. So it's another theory that that's what they saw and what they observed and followed. The phenomenon, yeah, as I mentioned, occurs every 20 years. So we've just missed it, unfortunately. I think it last occurred in 2020. So we've got a few years to wait again. We read on. So let's dig into this story a bit more. So in, from verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. So this is after they've arrived and he's, they've said to Herod, there's a new king of the Jews. We've come to see him. We've come to worship him. And King Herod was deeply disturbed at this news when he heard this. And as was everyone in Jerusalem. That's important. We're going to come back to that. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And this is in Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star had first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child. And when you, come, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I too can go and worship him. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that's pretty much the whole story of these wise men who made this journey. So as always, I like to think, well, what stands out in this story for me? 
And as I mentioned, the wise men. What, how do you get a title like that? That would be pretty rad to be written in, in the history books as, as the wise men of the world. So that's what I'm going for. So how, what is it about them that stands out? Because first of all, I think I almost question their intelligence when I read this story. That was something that surprised me. To me, going up to the king of a nation and saying, hey, we're here to worship your replacement. That doesn't seem intelligent. Herod was a pretty brutal guy. Um, So yeah, that really stood out to me. That surprised me. But rather than question their lack of intelligence, maybe it's they were bold. They were brave. And they had this mission in mind that they were willing to risk their lives in pursuit of it. Pretty incredible. I'm also impressed with their diligence. This prophecy of, of Daniel, or wherever they got this from, this was a long time ago, and they would have to study the stars nightly. This would have taken diligence and researching and working out and watching and waiting. And then not only that, what blows me away even more is that they act on this, this belief, this sight, and they go out on this long journey to meet this new king. They act on what they were soaring, what they observed, their belief about what it meant. Another thing that stood out in the story for me is when they arrive at the house in Bethlehem. So this wasn't at Jesus' birth. This was probably a little bit later because it says at a house. It's no longer in the manger. But what stood out for me is they arrive here and they're here to welcome this new king of the Jews. Now, there's no symbols of royalty here. They're in a humble house. There's no servants, there's no wealth, there's no honour. And yet, as soon as they walk in, they're discerning enough. It says they, they kneel and worship him straight away. There's this recognition. Now, interestingly, I think Mike and Hannah might have referred to this um, in previous weeks. I've been up with the kids. Um, that Matthew writes with a Jewish audience in mind. So that's who he's thinking about as he writes this book. And it's interesting because... The book is bookended either end by these statements by Gentiles or foreigners recognizing Jesus as king of the Jews. So we've had, we just read about the Magi, these wise men who arrived, and they go to Herod and they say, where's this king of the Jews? Right at the start, they're the first to recognize it. And at the very end, we've got the Roman soldiers who declare Jesus as king of the Jews. And then one of them reflects and says, surely this was the son of God. So it's interesting that a book for the Jewish people is, is framed by Gentiles making this declaration. And I think there's something really important in that for us. And just the fact that the wise men, these foreigners from a different faith, a different background, were in fact present at, at Jesus' birth or shortly after. Why were they there? I think there's something significant in that, telling us that God's, this is a God for everyone, not just for the Jewish people, A God for the foreigners, a God for the outsiders. And that's good news for us because I'm an outsider. I'm a foreigner. This God's for us too. Secondly, something that stood out for me, and I think Matthew does a lot through his book, is he contrasts the story with the response of the Jewish leaders. They often sit at odds with each other. And when we read these about the foreign dignitaries arriving and standing before Herod and declaring they're looking for this new king, Herod's greatly disturbed, and all of Jerusalem. There's great 
Everyone's getting upset and wondering what's going on here. This must be a lot of turmoil in the ancient world when there was a change of rulers and leaders. So people are thinking there's change coming. This could get messy. And then for the Jewish people, I'm thinking, this is talking about their coming Messiah. And they know all about this. They answer, answer pretty simply by quoting the prophets. They have all the knowledge. They say, yep, it's clear in Micah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, I would have thought that they would spark into action. They would jump to and go on their own search party looking for Jesus and send out, trying to find out this is what they've been waiting for. This is significant in their history as people. And yet there's silence. Matthew doesn't say anything. And I think that signals their lack of response in this moment. I tried to do research on it, but there's very little to say apart from the fact that the lack of anything would suggest they did nothing. So why? Why with this exciting news would these religious leaders not do anything? Maybe complacency or arrogance. Maybe thinking that as religious leaders of this faith and that God would include them, that they would be the first to know, that they would be central to this coming Messiah. Maybe so stuck on being right that they refused to even listen to the wise men and what they were saying. Now, as we look back, is isn't always good hindsight. It seems pretty ridiculous, um, their actions. And it's easy to condemn them and many people throughout the Bible story. It's very easy to. And, and I know I'm guilty of it as well, looking at them and thinking, that's ridiculous. But then I always challenge myself to think, who am I in this story? Who can I resonate with? Who am I most like? Am I like the, the wise men, bold and brave, discerning, diligent, acting on my, my faith and my beliefs and stepping out boldly? Or am I like the religious leaders? Do I tend to be complacent, arrogant, waiting for God to come to me and include me? Am I so determined to be right that I won't consider other people's opinions? And I thought about it. And yeah, I'm definitely like the wise men. So um, music team, can you come on up? We're going to wrap up. Let's pray. No, sadly. Sadly, I'm like the religious leaders. I'm so complacent. I even found myself in the, in the beautiful worship this morning at times. My mind wasn't even in these words that I'm singing. I get into this habit. I get complacent. I get so familiar with our faith and with this knowledge that we have that it doesn't actually go deeper. Sometimes I can double down on my own thoughts and opinions and not really listen to others. And currently studying psychology, we have something called confirmation bias. You might have heard of it. Our brain actually looks for information to confirm our own thoughts and opinions and tends to disregard information that questions it. So it's, it's tough to change. So what can I learn from this contrast between these characters? How do I shift from being like the Pharisees to being more like the wise men. And I propose the differences in this knowledge versus wisdom. Because we look at the religious leaders, they were experts. They had all the knowledge. I'm sure they knew the Bible far better than I do, or the Old Testament version, the Torah, the prophets. That was simple for them. But that's just kind of as far as it went. So I'd suggest that wisdom goes deeper. It's actually about taking that knowledge and it penetrates our hearts. And our minds, it changes us 
and then it leads to action. The next chapter of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3, this gets highlighted when the Pharisees come down to see John the Baptist. And I'm going to read in John chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you of the flea? warned you to flee the coming wrath. This is the bit I found interesting. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented and turned, repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. There's that complacency. That means nothing for I tell you God can create children of Abraham from these many stones. John's pretty clear here. Don't be complacent. Don't rely on the fact your Jewish heritage. Don't rely on your knowledge. Don't get complacent and arrogant. Repent. And that word means to renew your mind, to almost complete turnaround of your mind. Be willing to be wrong, especially in this case where they've missed the birth of their saviour, the Messiah they've been waiting for. But the same is for me. I actually need to do that same thing. That's for me as well. Those harsh words of John, they're for me because I'm so much like the Pharisees. I actually need to let these words, this knowledge that we have actually penetrate my heart and my mind. And I need to turn that into action. So what do I know? I guess to quickly summarise what I know, what's my knowledge? That God is loved, that I'm loved and that I should love others. May that penetrate our hearts and may that lead to action in our community. It was only last night I was here. Our youthies slept over, um, had an all-nighter. I came just to cook dinner and get them fed, clean up and get out of here because I needed sleep. I was insisted I struggle anyway, public speaking, let alone with little sleep. We had this Woolies delivery. We'd pre-shopped. It was all coming we had hungry teenagers here waiting. And our Woolies delivery ended up being about an hour and a half late. So I was ringing. I meant not to say the company. They were lovely. I um, <laughs> made several calls trying to track down where our order was, making sure it was still coming, because otherwise we'd have to go shopping or something. And eventually, this truck pulls in very sheepishly and slowly grinds up the driveway. And no one's here, so I'm sitting out the front waiting because I didn't want to miss it. There's no one at reception. Um, and the driver hops out, and you can see he's nervous. I think he thought I was out there waiting and I was about to explode in anger. And in this time waiting, I reflected on how I wanted to respond in this situation. And I'm not sharing this story because I look great here. This is actually rare. I reflected and I was like, man, I'm so glad I made a good choice here because so often I don't. But I actually responded with patience and love, and his response was quite different. He was so sure I was about to unleash on him, he almost cried when I just said, hey, it's all good, don't worry about it, things happen, it's a busy time of year. And then he actually tells me about his journey. He's like, this is a church, isn't it? I was like, yeah. So again, I was like, oh man, I'm glad I didn't represent this badly. Because <laughs> I so easily could. 
And just that little action of just being patient was significant. That little act, it was nothing. We should offer that to everyone, but that was significant to him. And I offered, come in and buy your coffee. He actually opened up about some mental health issues and some struggles in his life in this short interaction. Just from that little thing. When our faith becomes real, when our knowledge transforms our heart and our mind, it's powerful. Without that, it's nothing. Knowledge is nothing. Wisdom is putting this knowledge into action. It changes us and who we are. So how do we do this? How do we actually become these people who don't explode at the Woolies driver who's late? Because I so often would. I'm so often impatient. How do we become patient people? In Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, I've just picked out two verses. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. And in James 4, I love this verse. It says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So the next time you're outside, you're looking up at the night sky and you see the stars, or maybe in nature on the headland looking across the rippling ocean, or walking amongst the shadows of tall trees, I hope that you remember this story. These wise men who recognised the divine and they responded to it. Know that same God surrounds each one of us today. That same God. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that same God wants to draw close to us, just like he did in the birth of Jesus. And recently, I've been practicing this art of stillness and silence, trying to give some space in the busyness of life to, um, to pause, to listen, to just be to take away my expectations of God and myself and just be present. Now, I, interestingly, I find this most interesting done in community. You should try it sometime. We're going to try it soon. Because when I'm alone, it's kind of normal to be silent. But when you're in a group, it feels different. There's something different about it. And when you agree to be silent, I definitely recommend that. Don't just decide to practice it without letting other people know. Taking a silent oath could get weird. But I have this dear friend who, who shares this space with me and he loves to lead it. And he, um, he frames it with this invitation. A reminder that God patiently waits for us. A patient God to draw close. And just before we're singing that song, Goodness of God, and I asked the music team if they can play it again because I had a different thought as I was listening to it. And, and there was lots of response here. I think it was significant. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And Mike shared about the moments in life of hardship. And I think that's true. But for me, my reflection was the moments of life where I've actually pushed away from God. And if it was the footprints in the sand, it would be me just thinking it was just my footprints because I didn't want God with me. But my reflection would be that God was there all along. Just walks alongside us waiting. This God's patient and loving, who's with us and for us even when we don't want him to be, even when we ignore him, even when I'm complacent and arrogant like the Pharisees, he's there waiting, loving me, wanting me to turn towards him. 
So we're going to have this time to reflect. And at the end, they're going to go back into that song. And in this time, I just invite you, you can close your eyes, you can lower your gaze, sit comfortably. And here's my invitation. I invite you to the presence of a God who's here, who waits for you.